This Week in HPC. High Performance Technologies in Transition. What to watch for in 2016. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening in to This Week in HPC. It's our first episode of the year 2016. We're still Intersect 360 Research. I'm still Addison Snell. That's still Michael (laughs) Feldman. And This Week in HPC is still brought to you in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. Michael, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, 2016. The future has arrived. And uh, I looked outside, and I'm largely disappointed, but I think there's a lot that we have to still watch watch forward to uh, coming out this year, Michael. We wanted to use our first episode as a, as a time to, to talk about what are the big things that we're watching for as the market continues to evolve in 2016, both for uh, high-performance computing, also for hyperscale, which has been an increasing uh, topic of conversation. And, you know, Michael, with due respect to everything else, not to be a flop head about it, but really it seems like like the big technology that we most need to talk about is the evolution of the processor space. Right. I think I think that's exactly right. I mean, certainly in the high performance areas we're looking at, that's that's sort of the center of the universe, and it's been undergoing, you know, a, a rather marked transition over the past several years as people are looking for alternatives to the x86, and we've seen not just. Uh, competing uh, CPUs like power and arm come on the scene, but also these accelerator technologies as well, GPUs, FPGAs, the Xeon Phi itself. Um, so that's the dynamic area, and it's also the, the center of the high-performance universe. So it, these this 2016 is going to be a very interesting year because there's going to be a lot of new products that, uh, that are sort of major point releases that we haven't seen uh, for a few years now. Yeah, let's talk about some first where we want to really see what the market penetration is going to do in 2016 as we roll into our new site census survey that'll roll in a couple of months. I think it's going to be a a big proof point for uh, power processors. We've talked a lot about open power uh, for the last year plus, and it's really getting to where we're going to want to see how is the needle moving on actual adoption as opposed to just hype. That one plus Intel Xeon Phi, we're going to have that in the market market now, and we're going to need to see how many people are adopting it and at what level of scale, not just who's talking about it. Right. I mean, the, the new Xeon Phi, the ninth landing, is a is a much different ship than the previous version. It's got a lot of new technology into it and something that seems to be reaching performance parity and functionality with the latest uh, GPUs from NVIDIA. So that that's a very interesting matchup. The the, the Knight's Landing Xeon Phi's with the upcoming Pascal GPUs in particular as you look towards these three uh, three teraflop and above devices that you could be able to put into to any server you want. Now, let's also talk about something that's been in the market. We want to see how it continues to evolve, especially with a new update, and that's going to be on GPUs. Uh, we just did a report around supercomputing that showed the application support that GPUs have already garnered. I think that's going to have to continue to evolve because uh, NVIDIA wants to get as much market share as it can. Right, and, and the Xeon Phi 
uh, the Intel folks with, that are pushing the Xeon Phi, they're coming up quickly on the application side as well. They're pushing their development platform. They're trying to bring on as many applications as they can into this space and make it easy for developers to, to do basically what NVIDIA has done with CUDA over the last several years. They're trying to compress that into really just a couple or three years and get that same application support uh, on their platform. But it'll be, uh, I think NVIDIA is not going to relinquish sort of their application superiority anytime soon. They've, they've got a great start, as you said, in our, our report. They had the majority of uh, the HPC applications, or the top applications, uh, ported to GPUs now. And I think they're going to continue down that road and get even more of them uh, under, uh, under GPU acceleration. Right, at least, uh, well, if not fully ported, then at least partially ported. We, we're showing that 34 of the top 50 HPC applications currently have at least some form of GPU acceleration or, or support. So that's the statistic there, and obviously that number will, will continue to change. But at the mega trend level, the reason this is so important is because of exactly this, that, that these battles get fought in software. And for an individual end user in the HPC space, this trend back away from standardization towards specialization means you're going to have to start choosing now. I think 2016 is the pivotal year where people are going to have to start to select which technology am I going to start optimizing on and you know, can I afford to do it on, on more than one or do I have to start picking? I'm going to do Xeon or Xeon Phi or GPU or Power or FPGA or something else and, and uh, uh, that's why this is really the, the biggest technology area to, to start to look at. And, and we've got a major survey that's been in the field that we're going to start to analyze now that looks exactly at those um, end user preferences and uh, perception of the major uh, technologies at play now. Not only the major ones that we've discussed, the Xeons, the Xeon Phi's, the GPUs, the powers, but also getting into other technologies like FPGA and ARM. And, you know, let's talk about those for a second. I, ARM, uh, it's maybe a little early to be talking about a whole lot of market share uh, for ARM, but you know, do you think we might be able to, to to see a couple of deployments in HPC this year? Well, for ARM 64, I, I'm, I'm guessing we're we're not going to see a major deployment in ARM. It's still sort of in the experimental stage, which I realize it's been in now for for a couple three years. But uh, they're a little bit behind the curve when you look at something like Power and IBM that have made a big push towards that. Um, ARM, I think, is at least another year away from a, a major impact and maybe a major deployment. But we're going to see a lot more experimentation this year as we've seen that incrementally grow because a lot of people are interested in, in that technology as an alternative uh, platform to x86 and, and even power. I'll disagree with you in part. I, well, I'll agree with half of what you said. You said that you think we're at least a year away from a major impact. I agree with that. I don't think we'll see a major impact from ARM this year. I don't agree that we'll be a year away from a major deployment. Now, I'll go ahead and make a prediction that at some point this year, someone will put together a major HPC system based on ARM and start really seeing how well it can work at scale. I, I think we will see that coming. Well, that'll be interesting to see. That uh, Certainly, there's the componentry out there. We 
we've got you know Cavium and Applied Micro, even Qualcomm putting out 64-bit ARM chips. So they've got the underlying componentry, and there's some server makers that are working in that area. So it's it's possible to put that together. I um, so it it could happen. I just don't see it happening for like a major system. Uh, certainly for smaller clusters, we've already seen that. But uh, yeah, that you you went out on a limb there. It'll be interesting to see if that uh, that uh, happens. I think we'll get at least one high-end system, you know, at least one full-up rack, maybe more, uh, based on ARM. But but we'll see. I don't know who it'll be yet. I just think someone will get a grant to do it. Now, we haven't talked about FPGAs here. This is something that's been around HPC for a long time, never really took off. They were complicated to program. Then we started getting some appliance-type machines built on FPGAs. But what really could be making them tip now is the hyperscale market. Hyperscale is is another major area of emphasis that we're going to continue to watch evolve in 2016. And in fact, Intersect 360 Research, our company, is going to be doing a whole separate advisory practice around the evolution of hyperscale when we look at these large internet scale applications that run on dedicated infrastructure that are separate from uh, the uh, the standard enterprise computing. We've been tracking ultra-scale internet for years as an HPC segment, but it's really grown and evolved into where it's a separate market. So looking at these distinct hyperscale uh, trends and deployments, the evolution of that with standards like Open Compute and Scorpio, this has been a very heterogeneous approach that the hyperscale companies are, are taking. We're seeing a lot with GPUs. We're seeing a lot with FPGAs. Open Power has been part of it. You know, This is going to be a, a major area where we can see all of these different processor technologies at play, also ARM. Yeah, I think uh, when you mentioned hyperscale, I think that's one area where we could see a major deployment in ARM by uh, one or even more of, of the of the public hyperscale companies, we could see uh, you know some volume deployment there. That's to me that's more likely than HPC, but still it's not going to it's still going to be in 2016 an incremental approach. It's not like everybody's going to shift over to that, but it's been very attractive to those people who are looking for for power efficiency and and the sort of dense footprint that that is possible with ARM servers. So yeah, a lot of interest in hyperscale in some of these newer processor uh, designs. Yeah, and related to the processor market is some of the new applications that hyperscale brings to bear, particularly with machine learning. Right. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of machine learning or cognitive computing or artificial intelligence or whatever form you'd like to have that take around these same concepts of neural network type architectures to do these types of uh, applications. We've seen a lot of talk with GPU there. We've seen a lot of talk with power. Uh, that's going to be another big influence influence that the hyperscale companies bring to the market. Yeah, I think uh, NVIDIA with the GPUs is sort of out in front. They've established themselves uh, in the, in some of those machine learning applications. GPUs have a big chunk of, of the, the learning part, uh, the training part of machine learning right now, and I think uh, NVIDIA is looking to, to keep that, that edge, um, especially with their next uh, generation Pascal GPUs. But even, even at the end of last year, we noted they put out a couple of GPUs just for that market, they're they're really bullish on machine learning market. That's a big growth area for them, and they're they're leveraging that rather well. In fact, they just announced something this week related to that. They announced a couple of discrete uh, Pascal GPUs as part of a kit for. Um, 
autonomous vehicles. It's, it's something that fits basically in a lunchbox with a couple of Tegras, with some ARM SOCs and a couple of uh, uh, Pascal GPUs. Uh, it's, it's a very dense thing, and it, it fits in, uh, like I said, a lunchbox-sized thing, and then you put it in the trunk, and it, it, it's able to, to do some of the autonomous work that, that's now working its way into the car industry. So there's, they're really trying to stay out ahead of some of this, uh, these, these learning applications, and uh, they're looking at different markets to do this, hyperscale being one, but also the uh, sort of the embedded market with, uh, with vehicles as the other. Well, and this is an important thing we discussed back when we were discussing uh, the autonomous driving cars earlier in, in 2015, which is that by its nature, this is an application that has to be run locally. I mean, you think of all of the, the huge servers in the cloud service that do navigation or what have you, but you can't be reliant on that for the driving of the car, not only because uh, you, you can't afford the latency hit potentially as you're going through an intersection, you got to do it right now, but also you don't know where someone's going to be driving. You can't go out on a mountain road and then lose your internet connection and then suddenly drive off a cliff because you lost the connection with the driving application, right? This is something that by its nature has to be done locally in the car. Right, and they've made these very powerful systems. In fact, the system they announced today, uh, or this week I should say, is uh, I think it's something like eight uh, single precision teraflops. It's a couple of a couple of GPUs and a couple of, of Tegras, but that's a lot when you, especially when you consider the, the the M40 Tesla chip we just talked about a few weeks ago for machine learning was was seven teraflops. This thing actually mm-hmm. matches it or goes above it. And this thing's driving around in a car. It's not connected to to an outlet. Um, so right. they're being very aggressive with the performance here, and I, I think they're looking to to sort of work the market from both ends and and really establish themselves as sort of the the leader in in this machine learning area. Now there will certainly be, um, you know, offline tweaking of those algorithms. It reminds me of that uh, poker challenge we talked about last year, uh, where you had the the offline supercomputer that was updating the algorithms, but then the, the the local computer was actually playing the poker live. That that's I think the basic model that you'll have with the self-driving cars that all the data will be continuously uploaded to uh, you know to a cognitive computer perhaps that's able to. Uh, make adjustments to the, the driving algorithms over time as it gets more data, uh, but the, the local decisions over time have to be made by the individual vehicles. Yeah, and we also should mention it's not just GPUs that are going to find sort of a place in these autonomous vehicles. FPJs, too, are starting to be experimented. And, and coming back to FPJs just for a moment, I know we talked about the hyperscale applications uh, and then even the embedded applications, but I think from what we saw at SC15, FPJs are start, starting to come into their own even in HPC, traditional HPC. We saw a big presence there right. by, by Xilinx and then with Altera, and it's... it's imminent uh, uh, merger with with Intel, I, I think we're going to see FPGAs for for more typical HPC applications start to start to move up as well. It'll be an interesting landscape there because I think they're they're suited for a slightly different set of algorithms than GPUs or even Xeon Phi's are going to be. So uh, it's going to be a lot more diversity. I'm not sure how much we'll see this year, but I think we'll see some incremental uh, development this year in that area and then further down the line. FPGAs look uh, much more promising than they've looked, I would say, in the past 10 years. 
Well, I, I agree with that. And we did mention briefly the, the appliance approach to these. You know, Convey had some, some success with that prior to their acquisition by Micron. And, and I think that we'll continue to see those FPGAs bundled for particular applications, which is then going to take the programming hurdle out of it. Finance, in particular, has, has shown, I think, the most interest in, in FPGAs so far. We see a little bit of it in bio and life sciences also. So you're right. And we'll continue to get a sense of FPGAs. FPGA's use in, in high-performance computing, including through the, uh, the processor survey, the, the deep-dive survey that I mentioned that we're going to uh, get co collect and analyze users' viewpoints on that uh, right now in the next couple of weeks. Michael, we've been talking all about processors. I, I think related to that is there's also going to be um, evolution in the interconnect side. Now, the, the most important individual announcement that we've had there is OmniPath. Uh, uh, is now introduced by Intel, and I think a big thing we're going to have to look at is, is how OmniPath gets adopted into the market, especially vis-a-vis -vis, uh, InfiniBand. Right. I mean, it's basically, it's the first new, what you would call new uh, interconnect technology, even though it's it's you know, sort of distantly related to InfiniBand. It's a new interconnect technology that's being introduced in the HPC market that has a very good chance of high penetration, maybe not necessarily you know, in 2016, but certainly uh, down the road, it could, it, it could be in parity with, with Ethernet and or InfiniBand as, as a major interconnect, but it's, it's something that hasn't happened in, in a long time now. And all of a sudden, we're going to have three, three major uh, interconnects to track and and see how they develop. And uh, OmniPath looks very good. It's it's on par with EDR and FiniBand for speed, and and it has some uh, some interesting advantages in the way Intel's going to implement it. Well, we like the Mark Twain quote: "History doesn't repeat itself, but it does sometimes rhyme." We've been in this position before with multiple high-end interconnects. Before there was InfiniBand, there were a number of high-end uh, interconnects in the market, like uh, like Miranet and Dolphin and, right. and others. Um, and uh, we're now back into a position where we're going to have competing things up above Ethernet. You're right, it is related to InfiniBand. It's maybe a cousin of InfiniBand. A lot of it comes out of Intel's acquisition of the InfiniBand assets of QLogic. They also had some Ethernet acquisitions, some uh, Cray Future that they had acquired, and all of this rolls up into Intel's scalable system framework, which is going to be their approach to building high-performance computers going forward. Right. I mean, they've they've actually right made it into a, into a framework, which I think, and, and since it's Intel, I think it's going to get more traction than some of those others you mentioned, like Miranet, which had its heyday, but never really reached a lot of market penetration as far as as far as the other popular ones. I think OmniPath uh, certainly has the potential to to reach a lot of penetration uh, in a relatively short period of time just because it's coming from Intel and it's, it's integrated into, you know, like you said, the, the system framework that they're pushing. Uh, it's going to be easy for for server vendors to to adopt this and sort of standardize around it. Yeah, the integration there that you mentioned is actually the most important aspect of this to the extent that it's integrated with the system architecture, integrated with the chip. We have to start looking into 
the crystal ball of how this plays out, not only in 2016, but into next generation servers after that, especially as it relates not only to what kind of threat does it pose to um, InfiniBand, but what kind of threat does it pose to things that are maybe at the chip level of interconnect, especially with respect to GPUs like CAPI or NVLink, right? Uh, how well are those going to play in an Intel-based server with OmniPath as you go out two, three years? Right. This is something we've talked about in the past. This seems to be this divergence of technologies. You're going to be on the Intel side of the of the technology. You're going to be on the open power side that's, that's going to have things like CAPI and NVLink and GPUs. And then Intel, you get all the Intel versions of this. So uh, I'm not sure how clean that dichotomy is going to work out to because I think customers are going to resist that. It's just that, that makes for a very uh, sort of chaotic situation where you can't mix componentry between uh, the different pieces, but uh, it's something that seems like it's developing, it, and it, it seems like a matchup that's going to have to work itself out by, by customer demand and see what people are really going to demand from these vendors. Well, that's exactly right, and I've, it's tempting to say, and in fact, I have said in the past that you know it looks like you, you have to be on one side of the fence or the other, and that you know I was unsure about the future of, of for example, GPUs together on an, on an Intel-based server, not for this year, maybe not for next year, but as you get out toward the end of the decade, wondering what that exactly looks like. Now, now I'm less sure, because the more we look at hyperscale, which again is the big wild card here, any one of these huge companies, which is very interested in heterogeneous architectures, is big enough to set the market. Right. And if things like Open Compute or Scorpio demand heterogeneity, then you know, then heterogeneity will exist. You'll, you'll be able to buy it. So here's where other companies could benefit from what's going on. Other HPC companies could benefit from what's going on in hyperscale if that's what it takes in order to uh, you know, create these hybrid systems going into the future. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, we we will see, well, we'll see a lot of the dynamics on the hyperscale side, and that leaking into HPC in, in maybe unanticipated ways. But it it's certainly one path for Nvidia to go up against Intel because there is more of this. Uh, uh, diversity and and uh, sort of hunger for an alternative to x86 on the hyperscale side than, than there is maybe an HPC right now, although there's some there as well. So I think that's an avenue that that's definitely we're going to be looking at and, and seeing how it, it leaks back over into the, uh, the high performance area. Let's wrap up the podcast with a couple of quick hits here. You also wanted to talk about 3D memory. Yeah, I mean, 3D memory, we talked a little bit about Xeon Phi and the, and the upcoming Pascal GPUs. Both of those are going to be the sort of the initial platforms for the 3D memory technologies. Uh, Xeon Phi is going to have... Uh, the, basically, the Micron version of that, the Micron and Intel version of that, it's, it's going to be a variant of the hybrid memory cube on the on the night landing Xeon Phi, something they're, they're calling multi-channel DRAM. It's, a, it's like I said, it's a variant of the cube, but it's it's basically 3D memory that they're going to put on the same package as the Xeon Phi for very fast, high bandwidth, uh, low latency memory. 
And on the NVIDIA side, they're going to use something called high bandwidth memory, which is something that uh, AMD and Hynix have worked out. It's another 3D memory technology uh, that seems to be popular with the GPU crowd. So AMD's already used it for some of its uh, high-end GPUs, and NVIDIA's going to glom onto it for its Pascal GPUs. We're going to see that next year as well. So there's sort of another battle at the memory level, these two sort of uh, different standards for these these 3D memories that are going to appear in HPC as, as, we, uh, as we look through the year and these, these products get released. And uh, for my quick hit, I'll talk about storage quickly. Uh, you don't want to forget about storage. I went for years saying that storage was the most important technological evolution going on in HPC. Right now, I think it's in the processor side. I'll stick with that. But that doesn't mean you want to ignore the I.O. and how everything's uh, you know, coming through from a, from a data movement standpoint. Um, flash has recently been the big trend, and we're seeing uh, Flash get incorporated into uh, more of the storage hierarchy. I do not think that Flash is going to go replace spinning disk. I do think we'll continue to see it replace local disk within servers. I think we'll see a lot of that, and we'll see it as a as a burst buffer or, or other type of caching layer within network storage, but the majority of NAS will continue to be spinning disk. We might see this starting to reach toward an asymptote in 2016, where we'll see what's the percent of Flash where it's going to level off. And I think the other big trend that's going to start to get more maturity here is object storage. We've been talking about object storage for a while, but it's really coming to market in a lot of different ways right now. And we'll start to see how users incorporate object storage uh, into their overall infrastructures. Yeah, I think those are two good technology areas for uh, for storage. I mean, the flash, I think, yeah, we've seen, I think you're right on there. We're going to see some incremental approach in flash and just they're going to appear in different areas of storage and even in the uh, even in the servers itself uh, it seems to be a very popular technology now for different areas but um, storage is yeah a little bit offset from from what we've been talking about but it's it's definitely you know another uh, technology area in transition I think the the most interesting thing we'll maybe see in storage story wise next year I think we'll see some more big buys at least if, if not some of the flash companies, maybe also some of the, the larger companies we might not suspect. I think we'll see some more mergers there. As our chief research officer, Chris Willard, likes to say, it's an ancient curse. May you live in interesting times or taken to our market, may you do business in dynamic markets. I think 2016 is shaping up to be an exciting year. We're going to be on top of it all year long. You can keep listening to This Week in HPC. And for our clients, we've got the, the comprehensive research study going on right now on the processor architecture space, what users are adopting, what they're evaluating, what they have to deployed and what their their perception is of all of the different technologies out in the market. We've got our site census, our annual site census survey coming up after that, as well as our HPC user budget map, which helps us get an overall picture of the market. We'll be retouching our forecast going forward, talking about uh, how the HPC market is growing, including things like the proportion of cloud in HPC, which we haven't even talked about to this point, but that's been one of the highest growth areas. We're going to 
continue to track that as well. I don't think there's a big new technology there, but it's going to continue to move, and we'll get our, a new touch point on where cloud is in HPC. And then on top of all of that, an entire separate parallel track of what's going on in hyperscale, which is going to be a big wild card with, uh, with all of these technologies and is, is really a new market that Intersect 360 Research will be tracking and forecasting trends. Michael, how's that sound? You ready for it? Yeah, there's lots to do this year for sure. It's never, never gets any easier. More stuff to track, more more analysis to do. It's a good job to have. <laughs> well, I appreciate you keeping me on top of it every week. Uh, thanks for helping us put together another podcast, kicking off a new year. And thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to this week in HPC. You've been listening to this week in HPC. 